This podcast is proudly brought to you by Nuova Simonelli. Are you recording? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> Just relaxed and casual, there's, there's no... I can't do relaxed and casual. Tom's an Owen, how can I do that? Um, okay, so we're here with Tom. Thanks for letting me in the building. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry I wasn't here. No, well that's the only way I got in, I think. Because yeah. you hadn't locked the doors. Um, I'm so excited to be here. It's like, I mean, I've told you the story before, but for people watching who don't know it, like you are the only reason I am in coffee. Like, it's all your fault. Um, <laughs> like your, your website, when I, was, when I was getting into it, just like blew my mind and it was like, what? you can get all of these different copies and you can find out where they're from and like 19 years ago that was pretty weird I mean like how, how did you start I mean how did you get that idea to do Sweet Maria's and, and make it happen um I just looked uh, I, I was looking for myself online <laughs> no I was looking for the, the thing that eventually Sweet Maria's would become, and I didn't find it. And I couldn't find a place to order um, order coffee. And uh, I moved to a town in Ohio that had one roaster, and they didn't, um, everything tasted smoked. And I found out later from the guy that roasted there that they never cleaned their vent pipes, so that there was probably, they had in the, uh, exhaust pipe there was he had opened it up and there was about a one inch opening for exhaust so basically all the all the smoke was just backing up into the machine so you know if you like smoked everything um, that was what you got and so I went to him and said well could I just buy some green coffee <laughs> and I didn't want to offend him like you know it's like it's pretty <laughs> offensive it's like going to a restaurant saying yeah I you know can I buy this but just don't cook it for me <laughs> And um, and he said, sure, I'll give you I'll I'll give you a ten percent discount on the roasted price. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, I never know what to say at the time. But then I was going home thinking, like, wait, I know coffee. I'm going to lose twenty percent, fifteen, eighteen, twenty percent in roasting. So I just paid more to have him not roast this coffee for me. And then I was like, yeah, but it's probably worth it. <laughs> I'm gonna roast it in a popcorn popper and it's still gonna be better than the smoked coffee. So yeah, that was it. And I'd already done a little roasting. I knew coffee a bit. I thought I knew coffee a bit. So um, that um, I just figured I'd get some coffee. I drove to New York in my pickup truck, found someone that would sell half bags and some full bags. Uh, didn't really know what I was doing, just wanted a variety, because that seemed, just get a bunch of different coffee that sounded good, and they tried to recommend them, and I uh, drove back, and out of my basement with a postal scale, just started a website with, uh, in Microsoft Word, I just kind of coded a basic sort of website, and put it up, and started selling the green coffee. Sounds so familiar. 
I remember, like my first copy, they wouldn't ship it to me because it was a residential address because I was working from my garage. And um, I was like, okay. So I drove down in an estate car and put 10 sacks of coffee in the back of my estate car with the suspension down. And the first copies I bought, I bought a Brazil Santos, a Colombian Excel. So, yeah. but the one that sticks out in my head was I bought a China Beauchemin. And it's just like, yeah, Chinese coffee, great. You know, like, and they wouldn't let me have any samples either. So I just had to buy them blind and go, okay, these will be fine. And, yeah, again, coding the website yourself. You remember all the copies, though? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, because it took me about twelve months to get rid of them. So, <laughs> um, yeah, just it, it, it's strange how you get back. So you started in Ohio, and then how did you end up in Oakland? Then? Well, we actually we were living here, not far from here, uh, in California, and um, moved to Ohio for Maria's job um, because I didn't really have a gainful employment and um, and yeah I didn't have much to do so I you know I kind of you know I look at people now starting businesses in these really small scale ways and, and kind of marginal like not your typical person like I would never ever have thought of starting a coffee business in San Francisco or the Bay Area I just it would not even seem like something I could do mm. But to do it in Ohio, my rent was $350 a month for my little first shop. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, just break it down to the smallest possible level, um, charge it on a credit card and try to pay off the card <laughs> by the time you, uh, yeah. you get needed more coffee. Um, yeah, you could do it. So that's, I think, where my heart is too now um, is with that. Um, that kind of business as well. I imagine you too. Yes, no, like, I, I mean, the, the reason I'm in Stafford is again, cheap rent. It was like, you know, it was an easy place to get warehouse space. Like, to try and do that in a city. I look at some of the startups now that start in big cities or start yeah. with lots of investment in, and I kind of think you, you, you have to build some foundations for a business and just running into it and throwing money at it yeah. or being in an expensive place where you can't do it it's just super tough it's um i mean i, I we've been around some of the shops today in uh, san francisco and kind of like they're beautiful they're crafted they seem so finished already yeah I, I, what do you think of the, the the thing going on in this in the bay because it seems to be on fire at the moment with new places and exciting different places Okay, well, yeah, to be honest, I just want to tell you, I don't go to cafes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just, um, I, I'm familiar with, with some of them, but yeah. I just don't go. Um, yeah, they're just not places where I feel, they're, they're not convenient for me. They're not neighborhoods I live in, generally. Um, I mean, there's, um, there's all kinds, but everyone seems to talk about these few key ones. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I've waited in lines at some of them and then just gotten out of line because it's like, God, I could just make a coffee. <laughs> you know, it's, I, it's strange you say that though, because whenever I only ever go to cafes when I'm in a city where I don't live. You're like, right, and I almost right. feel like I've got to do that cafe crawl because okay. I've got to see these places. And when I go, they tend to be very similar. Yeah. And the coffee isn't as good as the coffee I can make at home. 
if that makes sense. Because yeah. not because of any other reason apart from I know what I want to do with that coffee, or I'll, I'll know the coffee hmm. that I'm making, and I know what I want to get out of it. And there seems to be very much um, coffee shops played safe, particularly the big coffee shops where the, we're drinking, for instance, a, a Philippine coffee at the moment. Yeah, it's you're not going to find this. Yeah. No, but it's Definitely. fun. It's it's different. Like you don't get that in the coffee shop so much, do you? Yeah. Okay, well, yeah, I mean, I mean, the thing, so, to respond, I mean, the things I would say is, yeah, I, uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll name the names because we can't know what we're talking about. Like, Sight Blast to me is just, a, it's like a church. It's beautiful, uh, a massive space, but I just, like, I don't, it doesn't remind me of my experience in coffee. Um, and the whole experience of sitting there and stuff, I, I, I wouldn't, know what to do sitting there I mean if you're traveling and you need a Wi-Fi and um, and also just needing a social I don't know somewhere to be around people if you came for a boring convention in San Francisco <laughs> and you wanted to go somewhere that had a little character I, it sounds great and their their shops great their coffee's super good it's not um, yeah it's I, I would say that that coffee you know, for me, a lot of the selections have become very conservative as people don't want to don't want to gamble with being weird or having people say, you know, um, oh, these guys have this strange coffee. Uh, there's a kind of narrowness that I feel is out there and a kind of orthodoxy in coffee right now. There seems to be a, a formula to follow as well, a little bit. You know, if you want to be successful, you have to have this espresso machine, you have to have this space, you know, this till set of these coffees. And there doesn't seem a lot of um, outside the comfort zone. Do you think that's because of the high rents? I mean, we've talked a little bit off camera about how expensive the rents are yeah. in this area. Do you think a lot of it is that everybody's scared to take a risk? Or is it just that that's, that's the um, combination that works for, for a coffee shop to survive? I, yeah, I think it's that I think it's that you have investors probably. There's no way you funded this yourself and you gotta like make it work fast. Um, and you have a very trendy, um, I think, uh, audience here that will migrate from one to the next. They'll say, well, I, I go to Four Barrel Coffee. It's like, oh, have you heard of such and such they just opened up and it's like and then that will be this the, the bag on your shelf at your house that people will notice you know like oh i see you're it's it's very much a kind of a you know i'm a i'm a chanel i'm a louis vuitton person yeah. I'm a, you choose these kind of tri tribal you know these these brands to attach to yourself and coffee seems to be that sort of that there's that level of brand awareness um, blue, you know, blue bottle, etc. Extreme, extreme brand <laughs> consciousness with coffee. So, you know, so let's talk about somebody that's really funny that doesn't suit that at all. I wish I recommend it to your friends. Um, up the road is a place called Scarlet City. Who started? It's a, it's two women, and they started. She started roasting. I don't know, probably in a garage. I think she's still roasting in a garage. They make great espresso, but they use kind of funny coffees. They have, and the whole thing has like, it's like pinball machines and Star Trek um, themed, which is a, a big plus for me. But it's just really 
it's and it's it's now in a kind of a multi or it's like an underneath new condos so it doesn't have all the patina and the aura it's not recycled materials and uh you know reclaimed bowling alley <laughs> wood for the cat i don't know you know it's not all those things and it's just funny it's just odd and I really like that place. I really want there to be those places there off the map when it comes to, to the discussions about, oh, Bay Area coffee, where do you get your coffee? Um, you won't hear people say Scarlet City is the first thing. So, um, apart from you. Apart from me, <laughs> but, but it's the kind of place I really like. And I was, uh, someone was telling me how there's a big Eritrean Ethiopian community of like drivers that hang out there. There are certain times where they just descend and they sit outside and it's like they take it over. And it's, that sounds great to me. That yeah. sounds like, uh, I just don't think you'd see that at, you know, uh, Four Barrel or Blue Bottle. Well, it kind of leads me on to something I wanted to touch on with you is the gentrification that's kind of happened a little bit in San, in San Francisco and Oakland. Mm -hmm. I, I always forget, I'm calling Bay Area. Yeah, there's yeah, been, there's been a, a real push toward, you know, that we've seen these places go in and, and change areas. And something like that at Scarlet City, where you get people that wouldn't normally go into those coffee shops. Do you see a push at some point back to away from claiming those coffee shops away from certain groups of people that want the branded bag? And, or, or do you think that it's gone too far now and we won't, that's what they are now and that's what's going to happen more and more? Well, I don't know. I, I feel like there's this very, it's either sophisticated or just completely crass ethic here where, where you would see like someone up in these fancy neighborhoods who's probably a multi-multi-millionaire going to their yoga class in these like humble clothings with like textures and, you know, it's it's something that you know, um, it's not Chanel, it's not fancy, you know? And do you know how we travel and you go to Kenya and somebody's gonna like go out for Sunday and they're just like, you know, the, the girls are just wearing these giant ruffled dresses and it's like they're showing everything they have. Yeah. They're looking as great as they can. They're, everything's just as sparkly as it can be. And that, that um, in a way, I think we've, we've come to this place where this there's this inversion where showing as little as you can here in this area is extremely sophisticated so you know you have stories of billionaires that drive 1975 volvos you know and stuff so i i don't know because i've heard some things about people wanting to, to sort of take coffee down and 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 make it local and appeal to to a kind of local thing and it sounds to me like that yeah it sounds like they're just trying to one-up um, in this sort of competition the um, the shop that has been conspicuous too conspicuous at this point you know that the, the, um, the whole hipster thing and the people trying to identify and pin that look to somebody and 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 uh, you know um, sort of denigrate it and and um, I think, and try to look for something else. Yeah. yeah. I, did, does that make yes. sense? No, I think so. Does yeah, that... no, it does. It does. Yeah. I mean, I, we were having an interesting conversation with our Uber driver from the airport who uh, was from Stockton and was telling yeah. us about 
like how she used to live in the like you know more centrally and has generally been pushed out because of raising costs and things. Yeah. And she was telling me about how there's some homeless people in the Bay Area who are have full time jobs but are still homeless. So they're living in cars and things trailers, like that. Yeah, trailers, trailers and, and, and like wherever they can. I mean, how, how is that sustainable for a community? I mean, you must. If, if I lived here, I think I'd be really concerned as somebody here that people who are working full time can't afford to live in the places they're working full time. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a housing crisis. There just isn't places for people, um, and it's driven by just so much competition. Um, and I was. Actually, I have a house, but I was looking for a house closer to here to work. So just pure luxury, you know. And I couldn't afford anything. Is that luxury? So I actually, I don't think noticed, it is luxury. I have a trailer in the back. Yeah. Yeah, to live where you work. Um, no, but having I already have a house. So. Yeah. So I, I stay in a trailer in the back yard, <laughs> and I love it. Um, but that's uh, you know it's a luxury choice for me. I have a place I can put it and stuff. I actually have a building over there where there was a guy I had <laughs> I had I really you know I want to support homeless people it's really hard to live with them all around you mm -hmm. and and anybody who has high ideas about it and doesn't actually live in the middle of a of a crisis situation with them should withhold judgment <laughs> because it's really hard. And I had a guy living right in front of my building. I mean, I negotiated with this one guy. Uh, the other guy with his trailer, I was just like, man, me, me and him, uh, you know, and I, 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 it's really difficult. And yet I knew he was someone coming in. I knew he worked a little bit. Um, you just try to be as patient as you can but I needed to rent the building and it was like, looked terrible. So I was just like, dude, please give me a break. Like, why do you have to be in right in front of my building? There's a place down the street, just, there's nobody there. Just, but it's, it's, it's something that we just live with here. And um, I think it's just, a, just as wrong to judge a group of people like in a negative way as it is to judge them all in a positive way because that's not people people are very individual i think that's and, a very good point yeah you know and, and i think it's it's, a, it's about each individual case but i just i find it really really sad that somebody works full-time and doesn't have necessarily a, a solid roof over their head all of the time and it, it, i don't I, to, from the outside looking it doesn't look like the bay area is going to get any better anytime soon no there's no magic cure for it no, and I, I mean, I don't know how this, you know, you can wrap this back into coffee. I know that I, a friend lived in a house just a few blocks away and worked in coffee, and there was eight people living in a house with one bathroom. I think it had three bedrooms. So there was two couples. There was one person in a trailer that lived in the, in the driveway, and there was one person that lived in a tent in the backyard. Um, and all these people, they're younger people who want to be in this area. There's other places, but there isn't, you know, there also isn't the energy, there isn't the jobs in some other places. So you don't find people in um, just even 30 miles out in Vallejo or something doing the same thing. But it's a choice in a way, but it's like if you want to be here, your choices are extremely limited. And I think it definitely affects a lot of coffee 
workers as well as other workers. Um, and, you know, it's just crazy because this week we had this, you know, the dreamer, I don't know if you follow politics here, but it's just like this assault on these people who are basically the most American people <laughs> you can imagine. I mean, they have the most American values. They want to come here and work and, and, and make it. And, um, you know, and, it, and it's ironic, too, because you have this, this elderly conservative population, if I can lump them all together, which is yeah. sure. <laughs> that, you know, a lot of those, the best jobs here, the, the jobs that you can't replace are health, like healthcare service workers, home healthcare, and service jobs where you need somebody uh, that's intensive labor, there's no, no machine can do it, you can't do it yourself, so that's who's they're going to throw out of this country. Yeah. Well, we, we, we have Brexit over in the UK, which has got exactly the same problem that like, a massive percentage of the health service staff are people coming in as immigrants yeah. that they want to ban, which is a craziness. Um, <clears throat> bring it back to coffee, because I guess we, we've gone on a little bit of a detail, a good detail though. Yeah. Um, but I want to talk about like the home roasting philosophy of the US in general, like, like, not taking the eight, maybe more of a countrywide thing. It really seems like there is a home roasting community out there that is really vibrant and strong compared to Europe, where we have virtually none. You know, it's a very, very small niche kind of uh, yeah. grouping. I, I mean, I've always thought it's, it's a niche here too. For people that are really going to do that, it's like, this is where my coffee is going to come from as part of my regular, you know, not just an occasional thing. Um, I don't, I don't know if I really understand very well the culture of, of it. Um, I mean, because you sell a lot of home roasting machines, you, you know, your primary business is that's what we do, coffee, yeah. you know, and, and, and to, to have, like, I wanted to do that in the UK when I started, uh -huh. but I knew that there was no way it was ever going to work because it was too small a niche. Um, it was, you know, I, and maybe it's a scale thing that you have 300 million people here, which is a lot easier than you know, 50 million. But then we have Europe, which kind of makes it up to that, you right. know. So, I, I, yet there isn't the same kind of desire to buy a home roasting machine. You know, it's it seems it seems to hear that there is um, much more of a, a focus on. Maybe it's because you are more coffee focused, and right. there is a much bigger tea following in Europe. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm intrigued from outside looking in why why home roasting, something like sweet berries, can, can work so well here. But he, there isn't one in Europe. Well, I mean, for sweet marias, like, we don't have a growth model. We just, our basic practice is just to do what we do and try to do it a little better and refine it. So we're not, like, pushing to grow. And we never thought that home roasting would be a big thing, um, you know, but developing that niche and making it better um, and giving people better tools to use and better information about how to do this successfully is like really important. And I think there's still a long way to go in that regard, but I don't, I just don't really know. I don't, I don't understand very well. I guess, I, you know, from this very naive idea that I just do what I think, it, if I was looking to do it myself, I just try to be that person I would order from, you know? It's like, so, 
because I people say like who are who's what kind of typical what's a typical home roaster person I don't really know they they kind of defy um, description <laughs> yeah no but that's that is true it 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 it's such a wide range of people um, that that do and and even into specialty coffee I find that yeah. it it is a wide range of people my customer base is incredibly diverse. Um, you know, yeah. from the I was telling you about the lady earlier that lives in Scotland that orders one bag a week every week, through to the biggest geeks. You know, it's like yeah. they're, they're they're a diverse group. Um, you touched on providing information, and I think that's something I really wanted to talk to you about. Was okay. like Sweet Maria's website isn't just a sales tool. You have oodles of information in there. Yeah. Like, have you always written, or is it something that? And you have been forced to write because of Sweet Maria's. I, I just, yeah, it was just automatic from the start that um, it was going to be balanced between something informative. And I knew that would sell things, um, but it seemed to just, having knowing that, I just sort of put that aside and didn't think about it. I don't try to write something to sell things. Yeah. You just... Or actually, I honestly think some of the things I've written. You were mentioning the thing about sort of the that that photography and coffee and people that travel and just take travel pictures, but then use it to sell a product. It's it's problematic, just as tourist photography can be problematic. And not like people shouldn't do it. There's just questions when you just go through a, a, an area and take some pictures and then represent that you've been there. And what does that mean? So you write that and you think, this is not gonna sell any copy. <laughs> Nobody, uh, this is not gonna be like, uh, people may respect you, but some, some people uh, may just not like your opinions and you may actually, I, I don't know what the effect is. But I, you just I feel like you have to share what you're thinking about. Mm -hmm. uh, you've given yourself this job, which is fantastic. I mean, you're so lucky to have given yourself a job. You've given yourself this venue. And sometimes people actually want to hear what you have to say. Like, this is really great. And I just take it seriously. I think you do too. Like, you want to just tell people what you see, what you know. You're curious. You're looking around at everything. And you're also asking yourself about your own practice and what you do, and it's it's raising questions for you, um, and it's evolves over time. So you see, have... I see, I disagree because I think this actually does sell because people buy from people. People buy from Sweet Maria's not just because your coffee is amazing, you've got this wide selection. Is that they buy because of Thompson Owen. Like that's why they come along. And the reason they know you is when you write opinions like that, it shows that you're thinking about those things and it is important. It isn't an infomercial, because infomercials are never going to sell, you know, not unless you get on TV and can do hit so many people. And I think that it, do, it reinforces the brand of what you are and you're, it, it tells people you have ethics, it tells people you want to do a good job. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't I think anybody completely. can disagree with what I you agree. said either. I agree. Yeah. I agree. And I, what I meant was that when I first recognized that if you just talk to people um, with your genuine curiosity and what you're really thinking about, they will recognize that and it probably will sell. And I could just sort of park that concept. Like I, I, I it sort of solved a way to, to be in my business. Mm -hmm. um, 
this is kind of an interesting thing because it's the first time I've formulated this way. But when I started writing my little website, I was I remember the first product I had was Zassen House Mills because you couldn't find them. And I found this old guy, Norbert, who we still, Norbert's passed away, but we still buy from his wife. And, um, and I started writing the finest coffee mill in the world. And I was just like, like, I don't know, what, did I try them all? I just immediately found myself using this language of superlatives that, like, who is this person? And I realized I didn't, it was just this automatic thing from everything you've read that you're going to, this is how you're going to talk. And at that time in coffee, it was, I mean, it was like your coffee shop was your gold uh, everything was sort of European oriented. Like there was even a tea and coffee trade journal had a guy that went around Europe and just sat and drank coffee and be like, talked about how the cups were and you know. And if you could do that, then you had good coffee. And it was just like everything was sort of brass and gold. And and I realized I just had to absorb this, and it made me mad at myself that I was sitting there regurgitating this crap. Um, so it's like, okay, I. I think it's really good. What can you say if you don't know? You can say, I've been using it, it works. Uh, I have a rule that anything we sell on the website has been in my kitchen for a while, and I've used it, and if I like it, I'll sell it, and if I don't, I'm not gonna sell it. Like, it doesn't matter if people want it, and I don't think it's good enough. It's like, that's exactly it. It's about the trust part of, I like this. And that's often enough like for customers to go, okay, that's honest. They like it, it mm -hmm. does what it, because you're not gonna sell something that you, well, you shouldn't sell something you don't like, right? And that can be difficult sometimes. Um, I know, for instance, we we, we, we get, and you, I know you don't get this so much here, but like Indonesian coffees. Like, I'm not a massive fan of Indonesian coffees, mm -hmm. but I try to find the very best that I can from that region to represent it. Mm -hmm. And I know that the Indonesian we have is the best Indonesian that I've tasted you know, around, and I have to say to people, it's not my thing, but this is the, the best one I've found, and I think you'll like it, and it's like, it's having that honesty to say, this is good, and not using the marketing, you know, the marketing spiel, you're like, this is the best coffee in the world. Yeah. I mean, we have that because, like, um, monsoon Indian coffee is just, it's just not coffee I'm gonna wake up and wanna drink. Yeah. Um, there's some things you can do with it in espresso and stuff, it's legit. Hmm? And I think... Um, it's gateway coffee too, though. <laughs> like, for me, it is. It's that, it's that gateway coffee of getting people... Because it's so different. That you yeah. go, coffee's different. And then it brings right. them along to... Nobody's going to want a Kenyan if they've been drinking, you know, freeze-dried coffee their whole life. And I think, you know, I think uh, Sumatra in the 1990s, uh, Sumatra wet hull dark roasted, <laughs> was something very different that people experienced. I think natural coffees are those things um yeah and I, I you know i mean i do you know on one hand i want to be very um careful with judging coffees as what i think they should be and and um the quality on another i get really concerned about this narrowness where you wouldn't mm -hmm. find this coffee which i think is has a lot of great characteristics. Um, I really enjoyed it. So like, yeah. And I didn't think at one point actually this is Philippine coffee. I was just thinking, no. this is good. Don't drink it. It's nice. Yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting, and um, um, and it's not. Yeah, it's not something you're going to find. They don't they don't have a lot, so it's hard. It's hard to find this this um, 
this type of coffee, this particular type. But um, they have a lot of Liberica, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I think I actually bought some from you once. <laughs> yes, I bought the, Liberica the, from you. The Liberica. Like 2002, <laughs> 2003, something around that time. I like, love their coffee the because that farm produced a brochure that said, the only coffee in the world picked 100% by men. <laughs> and I just thought it was so off key. I actually really enjoyed that. And I was like, what? And so I went and visited there and they were like, no, no, what we do is these trees are, are they're trees. I mean, they're yeah. massive. So, and they used this big ladder and it was some sort of chivalry that they, the woman, the men were going to have to go up 30 feet and pick the coffee and not the women. That's but still it was like, um, we don't, you know, everyone is so keyed in on how the message is supposed to be now, how it's supposed to sound, etc., that you don't even find these errant kind of weird um, things anymore. And I mean, I have to go back and read my 90s um, tea and coffee trade journals just to get a dose of how funny things used to be and how people would just come at it from all these different angles, trying to say what they thought was good, but there was no singular message about, this is good, this is how we talk about coffee, you know. See, the problem is you're smart, so when you go back and read your old stuff on it's the website, shit. you know, like, I go back and read my old stuff, and I was like, what the hell was I talking about? I'm yeah. an idiot. Like, don't put me in front of a keyboard again. And I'm sure in 10, 20 years time, I'm gonna look back at what I'm writing now and go, you're an idiot, stop writing. But um, you know, it, that's the thing is the message was, so we are saying the same message. We are saying the same things. We are showing the same images when we go to buy coffee. And it, it, things like a Philippine coffee can, you know, not wanting to focus in on this too much, but can, it's much broader and it's much wider. Specialty coffee doesn't have to be washed yogurt chips and, you know. Yeah, you know, but you know, I think, I think the competitions are a bit of a problem. At least like we have good food awards. People are obsessed with good food awards yeah. here. And um, it's, uh, it's just Geisha and Ethiopia coffee festival. I mean, it should just be called that. It's all there is. And um, I don't blame anyone. They're looking for the coffees that'll win. They know those coffees win. Everyone pulls out their geishas and Ethiopias and submits them. In a, in a, in a judging process that's, you know, uh, I looked in on it once, hopefully it's changed. It was bizarre. I mean, the, the process of elimination was bizarre and um, flawed because each table could judge things differently. And if, you were, if your table was just sort of high in general, your coffees would pass. And it, another table could just be low in general. Yeah, it was, it was, it was strange. So I found it just arbitrary and, um, yeah, it's kind of a negative <laughs> experience. So. Yeah. Um, you, I'm interested to ask you kind of, because you're, you're super well known in the industry, like everybody knows you and knows what you do with Sweet Maria's and things, but you're not one to go along to like the coffee competitions and like, you know, one being loud and vocal at, um, you know, like barista competition or whatever. So how, how do you think that happened? You became known as this, but I mean, is it purely on what you do or is there, is it your writings? I mean, I mean, I mean you know, honestly, I, I have a, well, we used to do the competitions, yeah. and we, I just find I don't have time. Yeah. And I would do them to, I would do them to show support or for some, I, I don't know, but it, 
it's I just... recently did Burundi and I hadn't done one for years. Okay. And I kind of felt, you know, I, I, I need to go to a cup of excellence. I kind of, I'd lost, well, first of all, I, I'd lost my love of cupping. It became a process. For me, because when you're cupping all of the time, you kind of get to the point where it's like, I've just got to do it. I just, cupping sucks. <laughs> cupping sucks. It's like, it's not a great thing. And yeah. when you do it for, for a whole day, you're just abusing your body. Yeah. And um, I don't see how you can do a great job when you're miserable. Um, so I, I, I don't, I think we should stop sort of celebrating it as something that it's not. It's just a process exactly. to put a bunch of coffee side by side and make some determinations. I also really feel like anybody that did that for a while would get it. People say, yeah. I, I, just, I like this, I don't like this, but if you just had five coffees next to each other every single day, let's say, and you tasted them and you had to describe them, you'd get it. You'd have to, you'd, you'd see the difference. It's not, there's no mystery. So this mystification of cupping is, is sort of bullshit too. I, I, I couldn't agree more for me, it's taste, like we all have the ability to taste and we all do it every day, it's just some people aren't as open to it as others and if you keep doing it you get better, it's just, you know, yeah. I, I, remember my, my, I was a prison officer when I became a coffee roaster, like I, I didn't go to any special tasting university, <laughs> you know, it's like, I just tasted some stuff and went that tasted yeah. like this, you didn't get on some YouTube. people agree. Did you get on YouTube and listen to slurps and be like... Oh, I gotta do a little When more. I started, there wasn't YouTube. Like, YouTube was, it was too soon. <laughs> yeah. I had to make my own so you're, Are you 19 years now? Uh, we started in 2000. So. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so 17. Get years. Yeah, well, I did three years of a shop and a, a roaster in the back of the garage, and then yeah. the website went live in 2003. So. Okay, so yeah. you know, it's been around it's a while. But I think YouTube's about 2004, 2005, wasn't it? Something like that. Um, I'm conscious of your time, I don't want to steal all of your time, because I could be here forever, like, I literally, this is awesome. But I wanted to touch back on what you were saying about the article you wrote about the, uh, the photographs. Yeah. And kind of like, I came away from it with like, I was asking myself more questions than I knew what the answers were. Um, how did you feel about it kind of now? I mean, because your, your website has some amazing images on it, and it's not all of producer, and that image you used for the article, you were saying you were uncomfortable with it. I thought it was awesome. I think it captured the person very naturally, and it didn't yeah. look like you'd kind of held them down and forced them to have a photograph taken. So, like, I mean, what do you see the outcome from the, the words you wrote? I mean, how do you feel about it now? Is it something that you think we do need to pay more attention as an industry? Because we talked off camera about uh, an, an importer had gone in, and, an exporter had gone in and said, we're coming for photos and they're all in their bests and you felt very comfortable with that. I thought that was really pretty. Yeah. That was really beautiful and just felt different. And it, and I guess the, the um, that article talks a bit about the imagery being, having these certain cliches and these certain things you see repeated over and over. Um, and it talks about, um, you know, like a producer with their hands with a thing of coffee as if they're sort of willfully offering that up to the camera. Um, it's just sort of like the semiotics of how you read photos and, and the significance of some of these. Um, it talks about pictures of people picking coffee where it's very easy, it's at eye level, it's kind of like they just reach out and it's there. And it's no right. men on ladders. No men on ladders. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, 
and women below being, oh my gosh, he's so strong. <laughs> Thank you. No. Um... <laughs> we all know women shouldn't climb ladders. <laughs> no, women are in. Um, so, yeah, it's just, you know, so I just was just came back from a trip a few days ago or a week ago and just. I take the same photos. I don't sit there and, and prohibit myself from doing that. And I don't really feel like, you know, that's the point of, of sort of interrogating yourself and asking yourself things. But I, I think, you know, like, I don't know. I, um, I think sometimes, because for me, sometimes it's the other side. And I was having this, after I did the podcast, I was having a conversation with one of my friends who is a cop producer as well. Like, yeah. And we buy from him, but he's, he's like my mate. And we were talking about it afterwards. And like he was saying that how when he sees his photo on the website with the coffee, for him it's like it's his moment. He feels like yeah. that the pride of it that like it's mm -hmm. because we could just sell it as an El Salvador or a Guatemalan and like mm -hmm. that's it and not yeah. but he's like, No, that's my coffee. That's awesome. I'm I'm part of the story. And I think there's the other side of like it's the recognition sometimes you know some people like that recognition and I bet it's about finding the um, the right way to broach I, I was on a far I was on a washing station in Kenya and this lady like such an expressive face and she was the meal manager and I, I just I was obsessed with the face it was just like she, he told the story you know yeah. you know those people who just tell a story yeah. Yeah, and I said can I take a photograph and she went no and I was like wow yeah, cameras are way it's gone. Like this is like it doesn't matter how amazing. I may snuck back in. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, like, I, that's yeah. the first time I've really had that moment happen to me, yeah. and it really took me aback. And it, like, and again, your article came along afterwards. I was like, yeah, and it took me back to that. That it was like it's not always cool, and, I, and it, it's about finding how well you know the person. Like you, you, you've got people you've worked with for years and years, yeah. and you know their point of view on it. They're, they, they either love it or hate it. And yeah, and it's I, also I how big your camera is. <laughs> <laughs> you have a giant thing you point at someone; it feels a lot different. But that's actually sort of true. But I think too, you know, what's happened recently, and I think this is something I could add to the article is how many people, like um, in Indonesia, uh, not even outside of the coffee, are taking pictures of me um, and wanting to take pictures with me for themselves and using cameras um, for their purposes. And I really am enjoying this fact that we're both producing images now, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I've had coffee farmers yeah, uh, make videos and then other people have said, oh, this coffee farmer showed me this video of you. I mean, this isn't a fancy coffee, like a, a guy in Ethiopia. On his phone, he's got this thing of the buyer coming. And, and it, I think it recognizes that the buyer is important and it is an event to have a buyer come. And they need, they need a good buyer for their coffee. All of their formula doesn't work if they don't have someone come. So it's an event for them. Uh, even though you're passing by, and, and um, so I, I don't know. I, yeah, it's 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 complicated. <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm off to Bolivia after this trip, and one of the guys who I buy from there has become really important to us, and it's it, it's like a really important coffee for for what we do, and they the whole family come when I'm arrived. Like they know I'm coming, 
and they know what day I'm coming, and the whole family come from La Paz to Caranavi mm-hmm. for when I'm there because they want to be part of the day as well. Like the family yeah. want to be part of it, and I think that that's that's the other side. You know, it, it, it's there is not, I guess, it's just not a right answer to it. Um, but I love the fact that when I read stuff that you write, it's never this is the right answer. It's much more about this is what I'm thinking. Like this is the stuff I'm, you know, that, that, yeah. that's going on, and I think there's a bit, a general theme on your site for that kind of like this yeah. is what I feel. If, you know, I might change it, and your, I think your opinion over the years of reading Sweet Maria's has changed. It does evolve. Yeah, so would that be right? Do you think? Oh yeah, it's evolved, yeah. and I think my awareness. You know, I mean, those things that have become kind of cliches. At one time, we participated in them because they they were fresh. They were a fresh approach. And then you sort of start to recognize that there's these downsides. I mean, we were talking before, and I, I, I like the fact we, we were slightly disagreeing on this, is the language about saying, I work with this farm. Mm. And, and I was saying, well, I think you say you, I, we work with them as a buyer, we have a buying relationship. But when you say you work with somebody, it can sound like you're out there picking coffee or you're doing something in labor um, you know, which, like as I was saying, you wouldn't go to your tomato vendor at the farmer's market and then say, I work with this farmer because I buy his tomatoes on Sunday. And you were saying, well, wait, what if you do this on a regular basis where they count on you as a buyer? It's a very important relationship. So I thought that really captured that thing of like how the language, I think, can be both super appropriate in some cases, but then kind of a little... Oh, Overrepresent, over overrepresent. Yeah, I mean, in that situation, I think that, that it's a partnership. Like we are partners. Like we, if you buy from somebody, you are a part of their process, just yeah. as important as the dry mill can be. Like there's no point having the dry mill, the pickers, you know, the processing, if there's no buyer at the end. And it's like, I, but uh, but I also agree with you that there, there's a ve- it's very easy just to say I work with these people. Yeah. Well, buying ten bags isn't really working with them, you know. It's being you are partnering in a way, but you're not working with them. You are part yeah. of the process. Uh, well, I, you know, on that, I think that we're, you know, I was mentioning that article. Where was that article? It was in the Telegraph or whatever. That was just kind of this. Jay like, Rayner did a screw screw specialty coffee kit. We just have regular coffee again. And he's a he's a food writer. Like he should be yeah. one of our friends. <laughs> And there's been, um, here, right a few blocks away, we have this uh, company called Local that does, I don't know even how you say their name. They do food and they have a dollar cup of coffee, which we all know they you can't charge a dollar for a cup of coffee and make, um, and make, um, can I let my dog out? Yes, <laughs> please. Bob's like, <laughs> what he wants. Here. We'll get Bob on the podcast. Yeah. Bob? This is the most, yeah. Hey, Bob. Bob <laughs> hates this. Bob does not oh. like to be picked up. He's, oh. a, he's a complicated dog, too. <laughs> but, they say that dogs represent their owners. Yeah. <laughs> highly repressed. <laughs> so, I think he just wants to go downstairs. But, um, you know what I'm really afraid of is, okay, so you... And in the language that they were using about their thing, it was like, they, they were, t- I don't know, they were talking about coffee having gotten too complicated and stuff. And I've seen other articles that 
describe that in a much more, I think, sensitive way. There was a really comic one in, in I think, New York Times about a guy who ran out of coffee and then was trying to get new coffee, and it was sort of just a, a spoof thing, and he was asking, well, I did, but I didn't have the right producer, you know, do I know the producer's name, do I, can, you know, and just stressing over all this stuff about my kettle isn't correct, can I, can I even have the coffee, and then at the end he just gets a Coke, you know, he's like, I'll just have a Coke. So it's like, but, I think there's real conversations to have and it's like, I just don't think we just throw all this stuff out and react to the opposite and say, well, it's all bullshit just because it's gotten into this level of hyperbole and exaggeration over details that do they really matter? And then details become such a burden to people. Um, you know, and as coffee companies compete to be more this and more that, they just kind of keep loading on more to these same sort of st structures, like knowing more of the farm and more of the variety. And it's like, is it from the north end of the farm or the south end? Is it from the east side of the tree or the top three quarters? Or, I mean, you know, you can make fun of it really easily. Oh. But there is real shit about coffee that matters and real things about relationships. And I just think because it's gotten a little bit um, out of hand and cliche, isn't a reason to just throw it all out. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, the barista competition thing that um, we have a joke at the roast that when a barista is competing with a coffee, you know, what new piece of information they're going to possibly ask from us. And you're like, no, when we go on a farm, we ask the producer the name of their dog just in case the barista asks us the name okay. of their dog on the farm because that's where it gets to. Um, you know, and, but I, I don't think that's any different to the general food thing that's going on because what I want to know more about where my meat comes from I want to know more about yeah. where my vegetables come from and coffee is no different it's kind of like we are more detail orientated now and is yeah. that a bad thing if you're ramming it down people's throat yes but if you're making it accessible like you do on Sweet Marie I mean you're, you're one of the first sites I remember being able to find out details about a farm and find cooking scores and all of this information based stuff you don't ram that down somebody's throat. If they just want to buy the coffee, they see the name, but it's there if they want it. And I think that's that's the thing is about we're not making people know more about it. It's, it's their yeah. choices. Yeah. I mean, it's not like getting stuck at a party in a corner with someone who's going to just tell you something about something you don't want to know. And I think that's just people are trying to get used to all the information they could have. And... Um, and whether they really need that information to enjoy it is, is, I think, part of it. Because knowing something can be part of enjoying it. I like to, to taste a coffee and be thinking like the, where it's from. I, I don't know. I don't like blends because blends, to me, just remind me of. I don't have that mental picture. Um, I'm very similar with whiskey. I really love more whiskey. It's kind of like one of my weaknesses. Uh -huh. um, and yet the blended whiskies I never enjoy as much. Now they're more balanced and they're more rounded and they're more consistent. Yeah. But actually, they're just for me, they don't give me the taste challenge. But for some people, blended whiskies their thing. Yeah. Um, and it's what they do. Is there a point where after so many, it really doesn't matter where it's from? Or... No, like, <laughs> it actually gets worse. Because I get more into it. I, I think I'm more serious. I know more about what I'm talking uh, about. It's, uh, yeah. I did a whiskey tour a couple of years ago around Isla, one of the West Islands. Uh -huh. And oh gosh, yeah, I got really, 
really serious with it. Can I ask you something too? Um, no, it's my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, when, when, one thing that we find that I've been thinking about a lot, and I just like to know how you handle it, is that we talk. So this is a global product. And people want to make sure that it's fair and that nobody's being screwed over, etc. And on the positive side, that it's you know that it's part of a, a generally good thing because they can't be there at the farm. So I understand. We take these pictures. We show them where it's from. We have to describe what we do, but we don't talk a lot about what you know. In, in, to some degree, I find we don't, I don't talk enough about what happens here, like what we do. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I think I find like I don't know what to say about it. There's only like you can't you can show a picture of cupping, and I don't want to see another picture. But I don't know what to um, how to open that up to people. So there's a production that happens here, mm -hmm. and what you do because you do more roasting. Um, that's really important in the process too, and yet it's 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 sort of like so much farm and origin information. I, I was thinking about exactly the same thing about six months ago because everybody still thinks that I roast, I pack the coffee, I post the coffee, you know, yeah. Like, yeah, 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 I'm doing it all. And, and there's such a big team behind us, you know, there's so many other people. Uh, what I've started start to do with my In My Mug podcast is every second or third episode, I get a member of the team on yeah. and just say, how long have you been here? What do you do? What's your average day? You know, and right. just stuff like that. So they get to know the personalities behind it because that's become really important to me that they are, you know, they're a part of that stage. Um, it's also things like the living wage. We have a thing in, in the UK called the living wage. So you have a minimum wage and then a living wage. Mm -hmm. You know, trying to pay everybody the living wage is something that I think is equally as important as paying a good price at origin so people can, you know, have a good, better living standard. And I, and I think there's, that you're right that so often we forget to talk about the things that we do. So like, for instance, cupping, I've started to do, again, every third or fourth in my mug episode, I'll just get a couple of cups on a table and say, I'm gonna try these two side by side. You know, this is the washed one, this is the natural, and we're just gonna try them, and you know, these are the differences, and this is what I'm doing. So I, 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 I think it's really important to talk about what we do in here as well, because it becomes a bit mysterious. We had an open day where we had 100 customers turn up for the day at the roastery, and we did like cup in, and we did an espresso training, and tour of the roastery, and all those things, and it was just super well received, and we thought, yeah, we should do that again. You know, that's, yeah, you know, let people know what happened. And like, coming here today has been so exciting for me, because I remember the first order I had for you, I didn't know, I didn't have any reference point for what you did, Mm -hmm. Seeing what you do here today, just like wow, this is this is amazing. well, yeah. This in this new place, we are finally able to do classes and open it up to people coming in, and so we've added sort of that dimension. I really appreciate. It. I, I like. I really. I find in coffee like the the voice. I mean, when you get too into the coffee trade discussion and just this person from this well-known mm -hmm. coffee company chatting with this person and. It's so insular, and those aren't really, like you're saying, your 70-year-old um, woman who buys a bag a week. Like, you want to hear everyone's voice here. And I feel like, um, and also, like, the best questions in coffee are the ones that are so basic. Um, that, because more people, you know, they're broad. 
they're broad and they're broad misconceptions um, or just something, some detail missed that's actually important rather than some wonky, tiny, little, you know, uh, you know, pinprick of information that everyone will obsess about online but matters like you can't taste in the cup. It doesn't result in something that matters in some way that you could demonstrate. It's just kind of knowing more than the next person. So I really like value people who are just able to ask like really broad basic questions and throw those at you and be like, oh my God, I haven't, I didn't, I haven't answered that. I, I don't really explain that. Yeah. Such great feedback. For, well, I think there's a place for the insular conversations still. I actually think as an industry, it's kind of good that we do that insular kind of thing and, and question ourselves. And you, there's an argument, the article you did about the photographs is actually very industry based and focuses on what we do as an industry. And I think it's important we still ask those questions, but it's super important that we we don't, we, we still have the conversation with the consumer because they're the ones we've got to convert, not ourselves in the echo chamber. Yeah, um, yeah good chamber. Tom, it's been awesome. Thank you so much. Great. I, I, like, Is I it over? It, it, it's nearly over. <laughs> you can nearly be set free. Um, yeah, yeah, maybe I have to untie you and then you can go. <laughs> no, no, it's, I, very easy. it's very easy to have a conversation and I feel like, uh, you know, I do, I, I, I wish I could represent what's happening here in the US or in the Bay Area better. I think you, you, you're going to have to go find someone Oh, uh, no, no, no. He's like, really plugged in. <clears throat> this is know. awesome, though, because I, I feel I've learned a lot about it. And you, we talk about, I could probably find somebody who would know more, but actually maybe a little bit too high. I just need a basic understanding of what's happening here. Like, um, yeah. And, and that's probably for the majority of people, too. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you guys for joining us. And um, yeah, we better wrap up. <laughs> cool. Thanks. No, thank you. Thanks for listening to this podcast. It's proudly brought to you by Nuova Simonelli. Uh, I could have carried on for another hour. And yes. If Jen had let me, I would have. <laughs> I, I think it's easy to have good conversations. Yeah.